Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash losttheplotcast. I highly recommend Amanda Palmer's book, The Art of Asking, and you can get it for free. Just visit audibletrial.com slash lostthepodcast. All right, let's do this. From Milieu Media Group, this is Ryan Hamilton's Lost the Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Hamilton, and this is episode eight, Headwaters, with very special guest, Jewel. Hello, and welcome to episode eight. Eight episodes. We're getting to the end of season one, and I guess I should tell you, we're going to have a season two, which is the best thing ever. As you know, eight episodes ago, this just kind of started out as a fun experiment. And the wonderful Milieu Media Group, who um, asked me to do this, have asked me to come back for another season. I couldn't be more excited. And I couldn't be more excited about the guest on episode eight, Jewel. How cool is that? I should say this right off the top. We were going to do the interview in person. It didn't quite work out. We had to get on the phone. So please excuse the phone audio quality. I'm kind of, I don't want to say a snob, but let's say snobby <laughs> about the quality of these recordings. And I, of course, prefer to do them in person, but just some scheduling stuff came up and we had to record the interview and the conversation over the phone. So, I mean, it's not like you have a choice. <laughs> But I, uh, I hope you don't mind, because it was, it was a truly wonderful conversation. If you know Jewel, you know the whole story about how she grew up in Alaska on a homestead, no heat, no running water, just like a crazy way to grow up that most people, well, not most, but I would say some people would probably hate, but she embraced it. I've seen you know, quotes of her saying how much she loved growing up that way. She went from that to hitchhiking and, you know, playing guitar and being a a street performer, living in her car, to having one of the best-selling debut albums of all time. It's an incredible story. I tried really hard not to rehash too much of that during the talk. I was super excited to talk to her because not only am I a fan, she just seems cool. I mean, she has a unique story. Nobody else has a story like hers. And strangely, I felt myself a little bit nervous and no one else will notice. But I totally, when I went back and listened to the conversation getting ready for this podcast to go out, I can hear myself being a little nervous. I guess I I fanboyed just a little bit. She seems super smart. She doesn't seem, she is. She's super smart, super educated, seemingly from a lot of her own research. Her outlook on life and songwriting and the music business are all just wonderful. I love it. You'll hear her say, um, I like disruptive markets. And I just, she's got this cool underdog thing about her. And I just love it. You know, she came out in the 90s, and she talks about this. She came out in the 90s playing folk music at the height of grunge and, like, nirvana. And she talks about how she had to find a way to cut through that wasn't traditional. She had to find a way to get noticed. And, man, did she. (laughs) Not only did she get noticed, like I said, she still has one of the biggest, best-selling debut albums of all time. 
I went back and listened to the album just because I wanted to after talking to her a while back. And it holds up well. Some albums from the 90s just sound like they're stuck in the 90s. And she just has a way with songs and just a way about her. You know, and with her background and her story, I knew that she would have an interesting outlook on the music business. And she totally did. There are so many quotable, inspired moments during this conversation. I really loved this talk. What a talented, smart, just inspiring woman. And I don't want to go on and on. or I don't want to kiss too much ass here. I just, I think she's great. And yeah, I'm going to shut up and get into this conversation. Really hope you guys enjoy this. Like I said, I love this. I found this super inspiring. What a cool story. What a cool woman. Let's do this. Here's my conversation with Jewel. Hi. Hi, Jewel. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. So I know a lot of this is, especially, you know, to your fan base is public knowledge, but I thought we'd just touch base. So... You grew up on a homestead in Alaska, no electricity, no plumbing, etc. And I saw something when I was preparing for this that you and your family all learned to play guitar and write songs. And I'm assuming not having the distractions that we have today lent itself well to, you know, learning an instrument and kind of honing your craft at a, at a young age. Yeah, I think the way that I was raised, I don't think I know that the way I was raised fostered self-agency, a sense of self-esteem, not because I was told I was great by my parents, but because I was given an opportunity to do things and show myself that I was capable. Right. And it forced me to create, you know, even if you look at it from a brain standpoint, neural pathways that you don't have the opportunity to create when toys do things for you or when the learning product does things for you. Mm. And it creates a much more entrepreneurial brain or mindset where you tend to think I can figure this out let me find a new way let me innovate and now as a mother of a six-year-old who is starting a business based on mindfulness in a couple different categories I've been studying brain science for quite a while now and Mm -hmm. as I look at society and culture what culture is where do I intersect with culture in an authentic way every single aspect of my business, be it music or outside of music, will integrate several core values. Mm. One of which is creating connection, fostering community, and self-agency. So as I embarked on this Christmas tour, that's what my task was, was to live up to those hallmarks. That's cool. Those values. And that's why I developed the Handmade Holiday Tour concept. To help Love that. people have an experience and create connection by having coming to this craft fair. They can see people that are interested in similar things that they are and meet people and find a sense of community through an experience, have a memory, which is an, a gift in itself and not about right. these things. But they also get to learn how to do things, um, which again creates that self-agency and learn how to, let's say, make a peyote bead stitching or things like that. Right. And they can make gifts. Children can make gifts for their family or husbands can make gifts for their wives and then there'll be music at night. So I'm excited about it. I love that. I think that that's super cool. And I think... Actually, let me ask you like this. So with all the distractions, I know you said you have a six-year-old. Do you think that it's detrimental to kind of developing those creative muscles, if you will, 
all of the technology and the things of today. I love that your tour and what you're doing and how, I don't want to say grassroots, but sort of grassroots, you know what I mean? Yeah. I love that that is part of it all. So do you think that the technology of today is kind of taking away from people being able to give 100% to their creativity? They've proven scientifically that children's brains develop let me say it this way. Our children, by the time my child is grown, they're predicting at least 60% of the workforce will be freelance. They're calling it the gig economy. Wow. So I have to know that I have to prepare my child to be comfortable with uncertainty, mm. to be able to think on his feet, to be very self-reliant, to trust his instincts in real time, that seems to pivot and change rapidly. We're already seeing that in our workplace, and the people need those skill sets. I do see a gap in the way we're educating our children to create a brain that can do that because we are making children more dependent on technology doing things for them. Mm. And they did a study where they took 16-year-olds in America that had access to screen time and, you know, all the normal educational tools that kids are given. And they took a kid, children from Africa, that just grew up playing with sticks and knocks and dirt the way I was raised. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they gave each group the same computer programming course and the African kids performed much better than the American kids. Wow. And it was done basically to sort of the point, if you will, that limiting your child's screen time and giving them time to self-play, the way kids have been doing for a long time, to play with rocks and sticks and turn a stick into a <laughs> boat or what they call open-ended toys, has been proven to help them form neural pathways and create a relationship intrinsically with themselves that creates much more of an inventive, self-reliant Very cool. mindset. So it is something I'm very focused on, and I accidentally got it as a child. You know, I didn't choose the way I was raised. Right. <laughs> it's how I was raised. But now as a mom who's wealthy and famous, I have to figure out how to solve for that in a society that not only do I have to overcome wealth and fame and not make a lazy, spoiled child, but I also have <laughs> to look and solve for, you know, how are we teaching our children now, and is it going to create the type of brain, the type of adult that I think will have a good skill set going into the future. Let me switch gears just a little. So you mentioned growing up the way you did, but then you also, I mean, and this is all very well documented, you know, the hitchhiking and street performing and all of that. Then you signed with a major label and released what is still one of the best-selling debut albums of all time. You've clearly seen the music business change a lot. What was it like for you being a big star and going through you know, Napster, iTunes, this is pre-Facebook, pre-all of the insanity of today's music world. How did you deal with or process that whenever it was all happening? I like disrupted markets. I really enjoy, even when I came out in the 90s, you know, I was making folk music at the height of grunge. Like, I mm. had to find a way <laughs> to cut through that wasn't traditional. Right. Because nobody would play me and nobody thought folk music would do well. And so I've always enjoyed a disrupted marketplace or trying to find a new way in. Mm. I personally think that the future of the record business, you know, nobody's going to stop wanting content. It's that how we deliver that content and then how we monetize that content is changing. The profit center is changing. Right. It's something a lot of us saw coming a long time ago. That's why I started experimenting with direct market CDs like Lullaby, which ended up selling half a million records, yeah. no radio, and no distribution that was traditional. That's great. There are ways of doing this and I think we have to think and focus more about who and what we are and what our value is, aside from our music. You know, our music is an extension of 
and how can we offer that to people? That's one of the reasons I'm, I'm doing the pandemic holiday tour. It's, mm. it's my path forward of what I think makes me relevant to my fans, what makes me relevant to culture, and also is what I stand for. It's what is relevant to me, what I, I stand behind the human. Right. And I think continuing to encourage managers and agencies and record labels to take in more of a 360 synergistic approach rather than just about traditional music is important. But a lot of artists have been doing that pre-Napster, pre all of these things. It was fun, yeah. you know, to be around the 90s. It was amazing. You know, start selling a million records a month was unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> Those days are probably gone for everybody. Yeah. Um, are you glad that you... how life is. Everything's progressive. Right. Are you glad that you got signed and had that big success pre-internet? It was a blast. Yeah. Um, it was shocking. I mean, I never thought someone like me could end up selling like that. Um, it was such an underdog thing. And, and I had to create strategies with grassroots marketing with college campuses because I couldn't get ready to play anything. It was fun to create a tide shift in music and, yeah. and figure out how to do that. I love that. It's I lo- similar to now. Not that I'm going to go, I'm not going to go do 800, 900 shows a year like I did when I was 20. <laughs> I, I worked that hard <laughs> to make that happen. <laughs> but I'm very glad I then, you know, once I was able to break through, was able to take care, uh, take advantage of a traditional capturing system, which sold millions of records. It was an unbelievable thing to be a part of. But right. I do think that if I was a brand new artist and I was 18 today, I would find a way to make that happen. Because right. I like a hustle. I like to work hard. I like to find new ways forward. So I think it's an exciting time to be an artist. I don't think artists should feel discouraged. Mm. I think actually artists have more leverage without labels um, if they are willing to work and willing to hustle and willing to use the marketing channels for free that they have available to them that I didn't have available to me back then. I couldn't work social media and a lot of free marketing things. No, artists can't if they want to work. You don't have to give away all your rights to a label right now. Not if you talent. Yeah, I think that a lot of artists they have the platform and they have the, the you know the technology now to use to their advantage, and a lot of people see it almost as a detriment. When really, if you use it the right way, it's endless. Like the possibilities, the marketing, the having your your songs and having your own music and not having to deal with the label. You know, it's there's so many advantages of today's music world. I just think artists have to ask themselves, do they want to be famous or do they want to be artists? Mm, that's all great. All you care about is being famous, you're going to look to sell out every chance you get. Right. You have to think about who am I, what do I stand for in this world, and how do I let the world know what I stand for, and how do I use music as my flag I'm planting on my planet to let my tribe find me. So every post, every bit of marketing has to be about that authenticity, but you actually have to know yourself to do that. The thing I've seen with a lot of artists is they actually just want to be famous more than they want to know themselves. They actually <laughs> just want to have an ego stroke more than they want to hustle. Oh and my God, it so true. It doesn't work well for them in any way, shape, or form. So unless, true. you know, they find a label that will back them and figure out what songs to put on them. And, right. I agree. I think it's super accurate. And I love the way you said that. And I got to say one more question. But before I get there, I want to say that I'm such a fan of yours and of your journey and just kind of the person that you are in this business. Every interview I've seen and, you know, things I've read, you you just kind of maintain this really good kind of spiritual sense of self. Um, And a lot of people in this business have their heads all the way up their own. And I, I just love the way you carry yourself. And I got to ask you, because 
not only are you a good example, I think you're such a talented writer. And I think I read somewhere where you don't believe in writer's block. And I think a lot of people that listen to this show would be interested to hear your take on that just as a writer. Do you feel like you got to put in the work every day or do you think you wait for the songs to come to you? When I got signed, I read a lot as a child mm-hmm. first. I had a tremendous amount of information coming in and it gave me a head start at writing because by the time I was 18, I had consumed not only so much music in the form of singing the songs with my dad's and bars. I actually never heard Elvis sing a song, but I, my, I heard my dad sing Elvis songs. <laughs> That's it. I, I, I heard a lot of songs. Anybody could hear the film doing it. My dad did it, but it still gave me a sense of structure, song, lyrics, and those types of things. And then I read voraciously. I was a very, very voracious reader. And so it allowed me to kind of have a leg up by the time I was 18 because I'd been writing for such a long time, poetry, consuming short story fiction, right. novels, philosophy, and all that. I think that when I got signed, I actually was a bit horrified because when I looked at what are the odds of me succeeding, I had a lot of other things to look at, right? I was making some popular music at the height of grunge. You know, I had a lot of obstacles. But what scared me the most was that writers can music. Musicians tend to write their best in their 20s. Mm. And novels write their best work in their 50s. And that scared the crap out of me. Interesting. I didn't want that to be me. And so I had to figure out an algorithm or a solution for that. And until I did that, I actually didn't sign my record contract. <laughs> for me, I identified fame as a, as a deterrent to creative output. And by fame, I meant a combination of factors. Hubris arrogance, a lack of continued education, and a lack of being able to be in touch with community, feeling the zeitgeist of culture. Novelists never get famous the way a musician does. They have a much more solitary lifestyle. They continue and expect their craft to get better, and so mm-hmm. they continue their education. And so if you look at music like a river, your river will drive up. Let's not say music. Let's look at creativity. If you look at creativity as a river... That river will die, dry up if you don't have a, your headwaters. So what is the creative person's headwaters? Mm. It's input. And so you have to have a voracious appetite to have any output. And with fame, you know, we often get so busy with our career, the tour, time to consume appropriately, and our rivers dry up. Or we become so arrogant and we drink our own Kool-Aid that we stop consuming <laughs> and our river dries up. Right. So for me, the reason I took years off between records, the reason I continued reading, the reason I kept looking at different art forms and tinkering with photography and things that were unrelated to music was because I knew I was feeding the headwaters of this creativity. And you don't know how it'll come out. You don't know where it'll come out or when it'll come out. Right. But for me, it's been how do I have a 60-year career and not a 10-year career? And that's what I've been experimenting with. I just want to add because, you know, who your viewership is, that there's a lot of artists that are successful and they're not happy, you know, and so that to me wasn't negotiable either. I didn't want to be successful but not happy. So mm-hmm. I made my number one job to be how do I be a whole person, a happy person, not a neurotic, power hungry, <laughs> you know. You can look at the statistics the same, you know, especially somebody with my emotional background. They usually self-implode, they become drug addicts, and it's a difficult lifestyle. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you do be successful, careful what you wish for. So I also had to create a strategy of how do I make being a happy person my number one priority, and am I willing to put that above 
entertaining and being a good musician. So for me, that was what I did. My number one job was to be a happy person. My number two job was to be a musician. So good. And my years off between records. And I encourage, you know, artists out there to think in terms of that. Like, what is your number one job? And get your priorities straight. Because every day you make about a million decisions. And they're going to support insanity or sanity. And it'll help you structure your deals. It'll help you structure your tours or your book contracts or whatever it is that you're working on. Oh, my God. That's incredible advice. I can't wait for people to hear that. Thank you, Jewel. Well, thanks. What a wonderful conversation. I love it when she talks about being successful and happy, especially in this business. You know, making happiness a priority. And in return, it helps you be more successful. And I, I'm actually a big believer in that. It's a great outlook to have. And like she said, especially in this business, because you can kind of get lost down the rabbit hole on tour. And it's just, it can get as dark as you want it to. So yeah, making happiness a priority, I think is, is such a great, great way to live. Uh, I also love it when she talks about how it's, it was important to her to figure out how to have a 60-year career you know, not a 10-year career. Okay, I could go on and on. I, I feel myself having to, like, restrain my love for Jewel. <laughs> I do want to say this. To Jewel, I know she's going to listen to this, and to her awesome management and, and those folks, this podcast was supposed to go out during her handmade holiday tour, which was such a cool concept, like we talked about at the beginning of the interview. But... I had a little bit of an accident. I broke some ribs, and then I got really sick. So this was delayed a little bit. So guys, I know you're going to hear this. I'm really sorry. I know you understand. You guys have been super cool. These things are all planned. You guys were doing promo for a tour, and uh, part of me feels like I let you down a little bit, but I know you understand. I just I, I felt the need to publicly share that uh, I do, I feel bad. I, I know it was out of my hands, but um, I'm sorry this didn't come out till now. I am, however, honored for it to now be out into the world. Thank you guys very, very much. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please rate, review, subscribe, all that business on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. That's all for now. See you next Tuesday. This episode was produced, edited, and mixed by Luke Bronner. The artwork we used for this podcast was done by Heather Hale. Please visit halehouse.co for more of her stuff. The theme music you hear is from my band's latest album, The Devil's in the Detail. Please visit ryanhamiltonandthetraders.com for more. <laughs>